So glad to have you guys here with us today. Uh, another great Sunday here at QCC. Uh, my name is Eric. Um, I've been with the church since the beginning. Um, but w- I'm here to introduce to you my friend, my good friend, my dear friend, Ray Hollenbach. Ray Hollenbach lives in central Kentucky. That's where uh, my wife and I are from, Amanda. Actually, Ray Hollenbach is married to my wife's uh, older cousin, Kim. And that's how I came to know Ray. I came to know Ray a little bit over 20 years ago. I was um, a messed up rave kid. If you don't know what that is, that's fine. Seeing a slight resurgence in the UK right now, just so you know. That's good and bad at the same time. Um, But, you know, one of the things that I was not interested in at all at that time was God or faith or anything like it. I grew up. I grew up in a in a religious home. My dad, uh, a professor of theology, and I was just not interested from a very early age. And I was pretty sure that the faith was a little bit like Greek mythology, kind of cool, fun to read, but in the past and not really that applicable for now. So I met Ray Hollenbach, and Ray Hollenbach was so gracious to let me sit with my questions, and it was so cool. And I, I, I wish all of you would have a Ray Hollenbach in your life, and I, I think that God has one, but Ray, for me, was the person who allowed me the space, two things, one, the space to, to openly question and, and to have a conversation, but then at the same time, the closeness and the friendship that it took me to begin to move towards God and towards the kingdom of heaven. And one of the things that I love about Ray is Ray is this really gracious mixture of um, head and gut, which, in my opinion, is that per- finds that perfect place in the heart, right? So, in other words, Ray is a very well-read guy, but at the same time, he 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 is he is all heart, all gut, right? So he is able to combine all of those things, and that was what he was for me. You know, I, someone who was very questioning of anything remotely that smacked of any spirit. I remember the first time he said, I'd really like to lay hands on you. Can we do that? And I was like, no. Thank you. Don't ever do that. But um, over the last 20 years, Ray has grown uh, in his ministry. He was the pastor of the Vineyard Campbellsville, which is a Vineyard Fellowship of Christian uh, churches uh, in the middle of nowhere, Kentucky. But it grew to be a very, very big, vibrant church under, uh, under Ray's um, uh, pastorship. And then out of, out of seemingly nowhere, God spoke to Ray and said, it's time to turn the church over to your worship pastor, which is pretty amazing. That almost never, ever, ever happens for someone to actually hear from God and then do what God says. <laughs> That's Ray. And especially when, you're, when your church has gone from like, you know, I think when, when Ray got the, the, the handlebars on the church, I think it was around 25 or 30 people. And then, you know, he kind of left and it was like, I think it was like towards 300 or something like that. And so, you know, you're like leaving on the apex. That's such a bad idea, right? You know, you like, you grew this thing and then you, but that's what God wanted. And then he handed it off to uh, Adam Russell. And then he's, you know, still in Campbellsville, which is awesome. And then, so he began to write books, some of which are at the table outside. And I think that you should buy them 
but wait till you, you, you hear him speak. And if, if he resonates with your, your spirit and your, your heart and your head and your gut, then I think you should go buy all of the books. Um, or go on Amazon, Ray Hollenbach, and uh, purchase them. But what I would like to do is I would like Ray to come up front here, and I'm going to put my hand on him do it. and pray for him. Yeah, please. That's one of the things Ray did for me. He kind of led oh, me through man. that. Hey, thank you. Ray is a deep, deep well, and I'm very thankful for him, and I, I introduce him to you. God, thank you for Ray. Thank you for what Ray has been in my life. Thank you for the help that Ray has been to me personally. And thank you for the help that Ray has been to the church corporately and to the Vineyard Movement and now to QCC. And I pray that you would bless every word that he speaks. And I pray that you would bless everyone listening. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Eric. Love you. We'll stop. Hi, guys. When I was a boy, Josue de la Cruz saved my life. My third floor apartment on the northwest side of Chicago was fully involved in flames. And the Latino firefighter crawled up the steps beneath the smoke through the fire and carried me to safety. And I wouldn't be alive today if it wasn't for him. He visited me in the hospital the next day, and I thanked him for his courage and his sacrifice, and he told me that he was happy to make a difference. We chatted for a while, and his Spanish accent reminded me that he was from a completely different culture than mine, and it was hard to understand him sometimes, but I was grateful. Then in the hospital, I fell asleep, and he was gone. My family found a new place to live, Grateful to be alive, and we forgot about Josue. Eventually, school took all of my attention, and life returned to normal. And I was surprised when five years later, Josue turned up at my college dorm one night. I was coming back to my dorm room very late, trying not to attract the attention of the resident assistant. Man, he said with his accent, you know it's really dangerous to drive home in your condition. You should be more careful. And I was embarrassed, and I said, yeah, I, I, guess, I guess so. And I shoved my hand forward to shake his, and I said, hey, man, thanks for pulling me out of the fire back then. No problem. That's over. Listen, I brought you some money for textbooks. Take care of yourself. And it was strange, him showing up that night, and I really wasn't thinking that straight. But when I woke up the next morning, it was hard to tell from the night before where the night had ended, my dreams had begun, and... But I did have $100 in the pocket of my jeans. Well, I was nearly 30 when he turned up again. I'd been married for seven years. My wife and I had one kid and another on the way. And I had taken a job working for her father. It wasn't the life I wanted. But when one kid there and one kid on the way paying the bills was a big deal. Still, the job sucked and I wasn't happy. And I came home from work, and there was Josue, the firefighter who had saved my life, sitting on my front step, petting the family dog. Dude, what are you doing here? Amigo, it's good to see you again. I just want you to know I was thinking about you, and it seemed really strange to hear. And all I could manage was a really awkward thanks. You know, he said, looking up from the dog, 
You ought to cut your wife a little slack. It isn't easy raising one kid while she's baking another. Well, my job ain't so hot either. Did you want something, I asked. He ignored the question. I could help you with that if you wanted. And I laughed and I said, thanks, but I'm a little old for the fire academy, don't you think? And I stepped past him and I went to the door and I said, but thanks for stopping by, though. And later I found a gift card to Applebee's right where he had been sitting. And there was a post-it note where he'd scribbled, take your wife out to dinner tonight. So I don't know. Maybe Josue had moved into my neighborhood. He began to pop in and out at the most random of times and places. And it began to be a little creepy. One night, he was in the booth behind me and my friend at the pancake house. Hey, man, he said, you've been putting on some weight? Maybe. But you still look pretty fit, and it was true. I had to admit it. Well, I'm not trying to bust your hump, he said. I, I just want to see you stay healthy and I, to live well. And I didn't feel scolded, especially because he had waited for my buddy to hit the restroom before he spoke to me. Yeah, yeah thanks. Well, I'll, I'll work on that. And when my friend and I had left, we'd found that Josue had already paid the tab. And it went on like this for like the next couple of years. Josue would turn up and offer his opinion on something or another and always do something nice for me. And then one afternoon, he was outside of my workplace. Now, I had bolted from the job with my father-in-law, but three jobs later, I was going nowhere fast. Life sucked. My wife and kids were strangers to me, and I was just thinking about getting in the car and driving. My friend, Jose said gently, don't do this thing. And I was startled. What thing? Times are tough, he said. I get it, but let me help you learn how to live. Well, finally, I'd had enough of these strange appearances. Listen, Josue, it's been 20 years since you saved me from that fire. What gives you the right to show up and tell me what to do? What good was it saving your life if you don't know how to live, he answered. I went into your apartment that day to change your life, not to save it. Really, I demanded. Well, I needed someone to save me, not someone to run my life. What gives you the right? I am Jose de la Cruz, he said. He stood tall, his voice swelled with strength, and as he said the words, he began to change. His face and his clothes became white, dazzling beyond any brightness on earth. And I shielded my eyes, and I heard the thunder from a cloudless sky. And in the thunder, I thought I heard a voice, this is my son, listen to him. And then in a moment, the day returned, but the sunshine seemed less bright. Josue put his arm on my shoulder and said, come to me, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. That's why I saved you that day. So, there you go. I just thought I'd read that little story. Um, hi, how are y'all? You know, uh, Andy stole something I was going to say. You guys really do look beautiful. I looked around and I, and I saw generations. I saw one little girl like just doing laps around the center area and she was adorable. And, you know, there was grandparents sitting behind me and there were people that were visiting from another church sitting in front of me. And I looked around and it really was like, y'all are beautiful. And... Uh, I'm really privileged to be here with you. Let, let me tell you a little bit about QCC. 
probably already know this, but I feel obliged um, to say it. I feel so obliged to say it that I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget anything. Um, first of all, the band really rocks. Good job, Andy, and good job, everybody else, you know. And like I saw Brandon put down the Gretsch, and then uh, is that a Dobro or a, it's not a pedal steel because it doesn't have a pedal? Lap steel. Always learning. Yeah, and, and, and he was like so chill, and I would be like thinking, no, I got to unplug from one and get this in place and plug in the other, and he was like just like totally there. Um, and Taylor, I know you're visiting, but man, such good music. Thank you very much. I also noticed the theme. You know, they, they brought really diminutive people here today. Yeah, so right there. Um, so come on. There it is. Listen, I've, I've got so much respect for QCC, and I have so much love for, for many of the people here. Um, I looked this up on uh, Google. There's, there's over 1,200 churches in Charlotte, greater Charlotte area, uh, and I've never been to any of the other ones. So, <laughs> Well, all I'm saying is, is that I'm not trying to like diss any of the other churches. I just, I, I've, I've visited you guys when you were at the Visualite two times over like the past five years or something like that, uh, and it was always a delight. My wife and my uh, younger daughter were with me, I think both times that, uh, that we were here. And uh, she says, hey, um, and my 15-year-old just says, when are you coming home? That's all she says. Um, but uh, I, uh, I have such respect for what Robin's done here. And then I have so much respect for the way that you guys do church together. So, uh, you know, I was listening to this series that you're doing on Matthew. And, you know, thank goodness for podcasts, right? Um, so I've, I've heard Robin. I've heard Al, who I've never met. I've heard um, Andy and John Mark and Eric all talk about the book of Matthew. And then before that, you guys were doing the Old Testament, which wasn't ambitious at all, trying to do a whole book of the Old Testament in one message. Not ambitious at all. Um, but... Um, to, to be, have so much freedom in the Holy Spirit and also to have so much respect for God's word. Those two things do not always go together. And, and then that I could list off, what was that, like five different people that speak to you guys? And how rare is that? So it, what it does is, is I think it, it points to the richness of the deposit that Jesus has in you guys, as well as the fact that um, I think it just indicates that there's a deeper and richer deposit still. Because I just listed off like five or six people, but, you know, there's like more than 20 of you here. So, there, you know, ask the Lord what's in you. What has he like given to you as a safekeeping or a stewardship? And then ask him. Like, you know, how can I, through love, serve one another? In fact, that ought to be in the Bible. Through love, serve one another. Uh, because I believe that this church will make a place for your gifts. Uh, maybe not as fast as you want, maybe late, not early, but I know the heart of the people that are leading, and I know that's what they want to do. So what a good place. Yay, QCC. Yeah. It's for you guys. All right. Um, so in conclusion, let me say, no. I also noticed on the podcast, you guys go about 45 minutes, except when Robin is speaking, and then you go about an hour. What's up with that? I, do, I just looked at the podcast and looked at all the times. 
That's good. They invite you to speak. Yeah, they invite you to speak. And what do you do? You stand up and you diss the senior pastor. So I'll never see you guys again. Oh, my. I'm from Chicago. We're rude in Chicago. It's how we roll. It ain't ain't working. Oh, man. Uh, So, man, I love the Old Testament series you guys did. I loved uh, hearing from so many people about the uh, gospel of Matthew. Um, uh, Let me just tell you that my twin passions, the two things that get me out of bed every morning are I want to be a a deeper apprentice of Jesus. The, The religious word for that is discipleship. And I want to experience more and more of God's kingdom. And that is that I want to live in a way where his will is done in my life the same way that his will is done in heaven. Those are the two things. And I haven't achieved uh, fully either of them. And nor do I even expect to in this lifetime. But they're the things that get me out of bed in the morning. So to be invited to uh, to talk about Matthew, and we're going to be in Matthew 7 today, uh, absolute joy for me. Um, you know, before we get to Matthew 7, did, did you notice, I think it was, uh, I think Andy was talking about like really bold message about the healing, but then, you know, he, he like cut himself open and bled about what happens when the healing doesn't come. And it was a really good word. Um, but what was it that drew people to hear Jesus teach? And the answer is, I think, uh, you find it in Matthew 4 before the Sermon on the Mount, 23 through whatever it is. And it says that he went around in all of the villages proclaiming the kingdom and healing all of those who were in need. And everybody came to him who had need. And um, when we look at the, the teachings of Jesus, I think it's important to note that what gathered people were the actions of Jesus. You know, he cleansed lepers and he healed people who were sick and he cast out demons. And, you know... Can I just tell you that, you know, in the church world, that if you cleanse lepers and you heal people and you cast out devils, it will always draw a crowd, always. But then what Jesus did was so wise and so so much like Jesus that when he had drawn the crowd, then he began to speak to them about their inner life. So you're looking at Matthew 5 and 6 and 7, and he doesn't put on a clinic like six steps to healing prayer. Um what he does is he addresses our inner life. And there's so much wisdom in this. See, Jesus does heal. Jesus is willing to heal. Jesus engages us at every level of our need. But as people began to come to him, he engaged us at our deepest need, which is our inner life. So for example, if you were a leper back then... And you'd been ostracized by your society and even by the Old Testament commandments. Which was your greater need? To be cleansed of the leprosy or to be healed, to be healed from this feeling like you don't fit in and that you're the social outcast or that you don't belong? Because you could be, your skin could turn as white as snow, but you still might carry around that sense of I'm not worthy, I don't belong, and that people have rejected me. And so when Jesus spoke to the inner life, he was talking about healing us in the deepest place. Uh, you know, what good would it be to be cured from cancer, and, and I'm all in favor of it, if you still live in fear of death, if you still live in fear that your loved ones could get sick at any time, if you live in fear that terrible things could happen to you? 
So I'm in favor of being healed from cancer. And, and if Robin's going to teach on healing next week, it's going to be awesome. And, um, and, and I know Jesus is poised to do that. But when the people came to, to him, he shared in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the inner life. And this is actually the whole gospel of Matthew. There's a rhythm in Matthew that runs like this. First, Jesus does stuff, and then he teaches. And then he does stuff, and then he teaches. And in fact, that rhythm is five times. Do, teach, do, teach, do, teach. If you have one of those old-fashioned Bibles where the, uh, the words of Jesus are in red, you can actually see it just flipping through the book. And that is that it's black ink, black ink, then red for like three chapters. And then black ink, black ink, and then red for like a chapter. And so we, this Sermon on the Mount, 5, 6, and 7, is the inaugural speech. It's the, I think... J.M. mentioned the idea that it's the constitution of the kingdom. But then he has other teaching sections in chapter 10, the, um, uh, the commandments that he gives to, to his disciples. And in chapter 13, he tells parables of the kingdom. And chapter 18, he talks about how the church is, is and should be structured. And then in 23, 24, maybe 24, 25, he talks about like the summation of all things, both in his life in that setting and in the, in the, at the end of this age. Um, so this is a rhythm. I mean, even the way Matthew shares the gospel, this is, this is the rhythm, and that is doing and teaching, right? And so if we're going to be followers, oh, there you are. Um, if we're going to be followers of Jesus, um, we, want, we want to find this rhythm that walking with Jesus is both doing and learning, and then as we follow him, actually, then it, we, we, we fully imitate him, and it's doing and teaching, doing and teaching. And it's not like one is better than the other. It's like they're a rhythm in our life. So the crowds came. He spoke to their deepest need. Um, and um, maybe we should do this. Since he speaks to our deepest need, and since he wanted to deal with, like, our inner most needs, could... Could we just like invite him to speak to us about that before I go any further? So this this is a little this is just a little exercise. We could call it a prayer, but then everybody gets like all spiritual and they just bow their head. So instead of it being a prayer, let's just call it an exercise. Can we do that? And I'm just going to invite the Holy Spirit to just move through literally physically move through the air, but then also move through our hearts and our minds. And you may have come to QCC today for any number of reasons, but we want to invite and make room in our hearts for him to deal with whatever he wants to in the interior of our life. And, you know, it'll be different for you than it will be for you or you or, or each person, right? So, like, just get, like, totally relaxed. Yeah. And then maybe even I found I, found I pray better if I take, like, Bear with me. I'm not from California, I promise. Uh, if I just take a couple of deep breaths. So, I mean, bear with just. And you don't have to like sigh out loud like I just did. But just breathe a couple times. And so, Holy Spirit, we just invite you to speak to our hearts about our own personal 
inner need today. Thanks, Holy Spirit. So I've got two convictions, and I, the, the first is, is that when we ask him to come, he always comes. We can actually be really confident. In fact, in Matthew 7, it says that if we ask him for bread, he's like not going to give us a stone, right? Or if we ask him for a fish, he's not going to give us a snake or a scorpion. There's passage in Luke I always get them mixed up. But it's in Matthew 7. It's our topic. So the first thing is that when we ask him, he always comes. You, you can be assured of that. And then the second thing is, is that when we pray, it is so good both to like clear the mechanism before you pray and then to leave just that little bit of quiet space after you pray. Because, you know, I used to think that prayer was me talking to God. And the older I get, the more I realize that prayer is me listening to God. And so I hope that he spoke something to you today. And I know that they'll have a ministry team afterwards. And if, if I don't get around to whatever that deepest need was, the, the Holy Spirit reminded you of that so that you can, like, just grab the hand of the person next to you. I mean, don't scare him if you don't know him. But grab the, you know, and just say, I came today because this is my deepest need. Or come on up for the ministry team and say, that's my deepest need. And who knows, maybe something that Jesus says in Matthew 7 will do that. So what should I do? Uh, having wasted, I don't know, already 20 minutes, easy. Um, should I start at verse 1 and like go through the whole thing? No, I'm not going to do that. Uh, did you notice that also, as all of these other folks have been sharing the message, that what they'll do is they'll just take like one little passage and somehow it ends up being 45 minutes of a message. And so I, I can't remember who did what. I, I know that I think John Mark spoke about the Beatitudes. Is that what you did? Right? And Eric talked about the, you know, you've heard it said, don't get angry. But, you know, I, you're, don't, don't murder. But I tell you, don't get angry. Uh, really good messages, guys. But did you notice how they just took like one little section out of, you know, each of these chapters and then there was like 45 minutes to like just explore it. And the truth was, is that what it made me want to do when I heard it on the podcast is then I just wanted to like live into it for like the next several days. And this is kind of the wonder of God's scripture is like, yes, you can read large sections. And sometimes it's really a good idea to get like the big sweep. But then there's other times where you can just read one section of scripture and just think about it. The, the Bible word for it is meditate on it. And you can come back to that one passage a second time or a third time. Now, I know of a couple, married couple, that looked at like a, a chapter of the Proverbs and they sat up in bed and they read it out loud to each other. And then they just said, well, what came to your mind? Just husband and wife. And it was so life-giving that the next night they said, well, let's just read the same chapter. I'm sure there's more. So they read it out loud and it was life-giving, you know, like, you know, what stood out to you? And then they did it a third night and a fourth night, and they ended up, like, doing it for a whole month. And, like, just that one passage, like, came to life for them. 
And it was only like 20 or 25 verses, whatever it was. And at the end of the month, you'd think, okay, well, the month is over. Let's move on to another chapter. And they thought, no, we think actually God's word is so rich and so full and so deep that maybe we ought to just stay right here. And notice, by the way, because of the wonder of marriage, they were exploring it in community. Like what sticks out to you? What speaks to you? That sort of thing. And if, if I understand their story right, they did it for like a year. The same chapter in Proverbs. And then I heard the husband teach on Proverbs chapter 3 in another setting. It wasn't here. And I felt like I didn't know the Bible at all. I mean, when this guy talked about Proverbs chapter 3 after a year of... And I don't think they did it like every single night, but I think they did it most nights. I'm just sharing it and talking about it. And when he broke open the word, there was just so much in it, right? So I think part of, if I can presume to speak for, like, do all the leaders, like, just gather over here? Is that, it's like I'm looking over this, one, two, no, wait, there's a few others around. If I can presume to speak for them, I think part of what they're inviting all of us to do is to take this amazing gospel of Matthew, and they're trying to highlight just a section and yeah, I mean, the, the teaching is important, but it's also an invitation for us to engage with this like through the week. And that's my way of getting out of having to teach the whole chapter. Okay? So if you would, look with me at just the very last verses of Matthew 7. I'm just going to read uh, like the last three or four verses, if you version will come up. You know, when Apple did those updates and they slowed the phones down, you heard about that, right? I'm like the poster child for that. I love my my little iPhone, but OMG, it's just like, I have to, sometimes I have to wait like eight seconds. Jeez, tries me. Yeah. Do you think I, more formation needs to be done? Don't you think? You guys would never feel that way. All right, so I'm going to read. Um, starting in verse 24, Matthew 7, verse 24, to the end of the chapter. Today I'm I'm picking the NIV because it's the translation that says what I want it to say. All right? So here we go. So Matthew 7, starting in verse 24. Therefore, everyone who... This is the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. Like, you know, Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7, teach, 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 you know, stretch your mind, blow your mind, yikes. And then at the very end, here's Jesus. Uh, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. And when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. So this is just the closing of his teaching, right? Now, if you're thoroughly church broken or you were a Sunday school superstar like growing up, um, then I have an advanced question for you because he talks about a guy who builds his house on the rock, guy who builds his house on the sand. So can we just do a quick survey? What's the rock? I'm asking. 
Jesus. Any other answers? What? The word. Okay. So thank you all for playing my game, but wrong and wrong. (laughs) Do you ever notice this? I mean, yeah, I mean, you're in church, so it's a safe answer. Jesus is the rock, and he is the rock. I mean, and I know that rock was Christ, you know, in the wilderness, you know, during the Exodus event. So, yeah, I guess Jesus is the rock. And is the word, yeah, the, the word is, is like a rock that, uh, um, uh, that, that stabilizes us. So, yes and yes, but also wrong and wrong. So, here, let me give it to you again. Jesus has done all this teaching about anger and beatitudes and and about this representative prayer that is this declaration and proclamation, all the things you guys have been feasting on. And then when he finishes his message, he says, therefore, the one who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the guy who built his house on the rock. And just in case you missed my very theatrical reading there, And the one who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like somebody that built their house on the sand. So let me ask you again, what actually is the rock here? Thank you. Sunday school superstar, right? Andy said, putting these words into practice. You know, Jesus never speaks like FYI. He always speaks FYL for our life. It's not just for your information. I mean, it's good information, right? It's good. But he's speaking for our life. Jesus teaches in a way that I'm envious of, uh, that I want to get to. Jesus teaches in a way that is for the transformation of life. And right here, before we actually look at this passage, what I want to say is this is the life of being a disciple. So I told you earlier that I get out of bed really for two reasons. I get out of bed because I want to be a disciple, an apprentice, a learner from Jesus. And then I want to experience his kingdom more and more and more. And you see, he he does save us. And by the way, That whole story was made up. I wasn't actually pulled from a burning apartment in Northwest Chicago. I I made all that up. I'm lying here from the pulpit. Um, But he drags us out of the burning building, yeah, I guess to save us, but the main reason that he drags us out of the burning building is because he wants the, the ability, the right, the liberty, the freedom to speak into our lives. And we're thinking, well, you know, you punched my ticket. I've got my fire insurance. Thank you very much. But the life of a disciple is to be a lifelong learner from Jesus. And so, for example, at the end of Matthew chapter 11, my apologies to whoever teaches that chapter, uh, the, the end of Matthew 11, he says, come to me and learn from me. Take my yoke upon you. My, my, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And then he even says, and I'm humble and I'm gentle of spirit. Now, maybe you can think of the teachers that you hated or the, or the harsh taskmasters that some people have had through religious teaching. You know, religious teaching is you got to do this, you got to do this. And whatever you do, don't do that. Otherwise, God is really PO'd at you. But that's not Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. He's God come to earth. He has opinions about what I do with my 
time, with my money, with my body, with my relationships. There are life-giving paths. But earlier in the chapter, chapter 7, earlier in the chapter, he says this. He says, you know, narrow is the gate that leads to life, and wide is the gate that leads to destruction. And, uh, and I drove here, and so I got some good quality interstate time in. And I thought while I was, while I was on the road, like, the, here's the vision, is, is that you've got the four lanes on the interstate, and everybody's making time. And in fact, have you ever noticed that you don't feel like you're making time if other people are passing you? Are you one of those drivers? Like, you could be going 10 miles over the speed limit, but if somebody zips past you, you go, well, I'm not going anywhere right? So everybody's rushing, everybody's rushing, everybody's rushing. This is the wide way. This is, this is the via speedioso. It's like, gotta get there, right? And then the grace of God puts up a little sign that says, exit quarter mile. And that's the way that leads to life. That's the way that leads to life. You see, it's the grace of God that puts the narrow gate in front of us. Jesus said he didn't come into the world to condemn the world because the world was already condemned. Life sucks and it's toast and it's hard. It's like you, you, didn't, you don't need Jesus to condemn you. He said, I don't think it's, it's from John's gospel, so I'm cheating. He says, don't think that I came into the world to condemn the world. The world's already condemned. I came that they could have life and that it would be abundant and it would be meaningful. In, in Matthew chapter 7, he says it this way, narrow is the gate. And some people are going, well, that doesn't seem very nice. But the truth is, is that, that he gives us an exit ramp at all is the grace of God. And then the fact that he puts the sign and says, exit here. That's the invitation. By the way, in Matthew 7, it actually says, enter in by the narrow gate. Now, it depends on if you're really fundamentalist, you read that and it's an imperative. Enter in, you must. Or you can read it as it's an invitation. I invite you to enter in to the way of life. So it's grace that puts the exit ramp there for us to get off of the madness. And then the invitation is to enter in. But then we do respond. Our response is take the exit. Get off of the mad rush that other people are are feeling the pain. And then to learn from him, right? To learn from him. So here we are. We're at the end of uh, Matthew. We're at the end of Matthew. Jesus is saying that putting his words into practice, this is the rock. Here's why I picked NIV. Some translations will say doing what, you know, what he taught. And that sounds to me a little harsh. So I I actually looked this up. I know it doesn't sound like it, but I prepared a little bit for this message. I looked this up, okay? The word uh, for... um, putting his words into practice, the into practice verb, is the same verb that we get poetry from, making poetry. It is, it, it is the act of making. It's the poema, right? And it's not the Bible word for obey. Now, make no mistake, the Bible has a word for obey. And it is important to obey what Jesus says. But what Jesus is saying at the end of this teaching is, make room in your life 
to put these things into practice. And what I love about that is that I've been walking with Jesus, old guy alert, for 48 years. And I'm still in practice. Do you know what I'm saying? I, I can't say, you know, when I hit year 10, I got this whole Jesus thing down, I'm done. My life is still in practice. And, and when I receive these words at the end of Matthew's gospel as the person who puts my words into practice, it gives me freedom to experiment, right? So Jesus says, you've heard it say, don't murder. I tell you, don't get angry. And, and I say, well, all right, tomorrow, I'm not going to get angry all day long. And then, of course, what happens tomorrow? I get angry. You see, the work of putting his words into practice is the formation that makes us disciples. So it's not about, did I succeed or did I fail? It's doing the work that forms us. That's why I like putting his words into practice. That's the translation. And there's other translations. But it's like I get to be the guy who experiments with Jesus. And so just like that couple that spent forever on Proverbs chapter 3, I can say, okay, today I won't get angry and I screw up and I yell at the dog and, you know, the kids and all that. And then I go, well, that didn't work today. So guess what I learned? Trying harder didn't work. It's the old Thomas Edison thing. You know, 4,000 filaments before he found the one that wouldn't burn out. And they said, how did it feel to fail 4,000 times? He said, well, I didn't fail 4,000 times. I learned 4,000 ways it didn't work. So the words of Jesus, what if we gave ourselves permission to try to put them into practice? And then at the end of each day, we'd say, well, that worked or that didn't work or that worked, or that didn't work. And then, by the way, what would obedience look like? It will look like something different in you than it will look like in you because you're wired differently. Now, I mean, at the end of the day, we still don't want to lie, cheat, or steal, or, you know, cuss, or spit, you know, all those things. We don't, we don't want to do those things. But, but you see, the full-orbed response to Jesus means that because you are unique, your response to Jesus will be uniquely you. It'll be who he meant you to be, right? And yet you'll become a community of people in a community called Charlotte that, we, that could become known for the people who are actively trying to put the words of Jesus into practice, right? So um, there's a quote that I wrote down. I really like it. Uh, I wish I could say I said it, but I didn't. He said, this dude, he said, Jesus didn't come into the world to find Sermon on the Mount people. He came into the world to produce Sermon on the Mount people. Yeah. So that's Rich Mullins. Yeah, I know. Everybody's starting going, yeah, I actually just lied. I hooked you. It's not Rich Mullins, but you know who Rich Mullins is. It's actually a guy named Rich Nathan. He's a pastor at a church in Columbus, Ohio. But it's like, yeah, it's Rich Mullins. I love him. He's so cool. So I figured I'd attribute it to somebody really cool, and then I'd get, you know, I'd get that response. But no, Rich Nathan, (laughs) yeah, that just doesn't quite get the same response, does it? So am I that manipulative? Heck yes. Yes, I am that manipulative. So Rich Nathan says, look, Jesus wasn't coming 
to find these people. So, so when we taught and we heard the Beatitudes taught, or when, when we heard this, this high priestly de- proclamation, de- declarative prayer taught, it's not like he's like, if I could just find people like this, says Jesus, I could rule the world. Again, it's an invitation. The Sermon on the Mount is to produce Sermon on the Mount people. That's what Jesus is looking for. Now, last thing, and I honestly, uh, Robin's probably going to be able to tease me because I don't know how long I've been going. Somebody's got a clock on this. Yeah, I'm good? All right, well, having finished my introduction, all right, so now, now I've joked and I've, and I've lost. Oh, here's what I want to say. This is the last thing for reals, Okay. There's one thing that, that my heart has been burning with as I've listened to these podcasts. And that is, but wait, but wait. And I'm, you know, and I'm one of those guys that like talks to my earbuds or to the car. And I go, hasn't anybody yet addressed whether any of this stuff is possible? I mean, thanks for teaching, Eric, but you know, all you did was set the bar really high. So I'm picking on him. I'm picking on him because I've known him for 20 years, right? Thanks a lot. All you did was make me feel really guilty about the fact that I still get angry. Dude, right? All right. Has anybody ever taken the time in the six or seven weeks you've been working on Matthew to simply ask yourself this? Is any of this stuff that Jesus is saying, is it really possible in 2018 in Charlotte, North Carolina? In other words, what if these are like just pretty words? What if these are like high ideals? And honestly, what kind of teacher would Jesus be if he was teaching us to do things that he knew full well we would never be able to do? What does that say about Jesus if these things are impossible? This this is, I mean, individually, like you and you, and you, and you, and me. Because I just pointed at like four people. Better point at myself too. Part of the math we have to do is, is this even possible? So um, every once in a while, they let me teach New Testament at this little school um, that, that I live nearby. And so I asked once when we were talking about the Sermon on the Mount, and I said, do you think it's possible to do this stuff? And uh, there's like 30 young 18, 19-year-old college students in the room. Not one person raised their hand. And I said, wait, 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 wait. So nobody thinks it's possible to do what we've just studied. And, you know, they're still just kind of looking at me. And I said, so why would Jesus teach this? And one girl, brave soul that she was, she said, to show us that we are sinners and that we need a Savior. And because I'm filled with compassion, empathy, and and all of those things, I said, so the whole Sermon on the Mount is designed to show us what pathetic losers we are. And she goes, well, I didn't say that. I go, yes, you did, right? And then oddly enough, she didn't come back to that class. She dropped the course. Go figure, right? I made that up. She stayed in the course. Okay, she stayed in the course. But, you know, I like, you know, she was like the only person that wanted to engage about it, right? And then I picked on her. So you can tell I got some work yet to do. But did Jesus teach all this stuff merely for that orthodoxy that many of us grew up with, which is, I'm a sinner, I have a sin problem, 
Jesus cleanses my sin, problem solved. Now, you understand that equation is actually correct. It's just not complete. What a difference. If we think, as as I've told myself for, for decades, well, I'm a sinner. That's what I do. I sin. Jesus, I'll do my job. You do yours. I'll sin. You wipe it away. We got a good arrangement going, right? Or is it possible, and this is where we have to do the work, is it possible that he's teaching these things to us because he's extending not only the off-ramp invitation, but the invitation to learn a new way to live. This is discipleship. It's not pray for an hour a day. I mean, you can do that. And it's not read three chapters a day. You can do that too. But it's not checking off the boxes. It is putting his words into practice in an environment that doesn't involve guilt or shame. And in fact, we could see ourselves as collaborators with God, experimenting about what it looks like in my life and how it might be different from what it looks like in your life. Right? And then at the end of the day, there's this great spirituality that we get from the Ignatians. Uh, They they have a, a practice called the examine. And it's exactly what it sounds like. At the end of the day, you pretty, this, is the, this is the examine. At the end of the day, you pretty much go, Jesus, how did that work today? And in a, in a wonderful, non-shame conversation, the Holy Spirit begins to tell us, this is where you were walking in the way, and this is where you missed it. And then if we listen really carefully, the Holy Spirit says, so what was going on? in your mind, your, your thoughts, and your, even your physical body when you were unable to walk in the way. And so, you know, I'm a remedial student. I'm 40 years in on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, but it's an invitation that's filled with life. And more importantly, uh, it's an invitation that's filled with hope. See, he, he won't give us a rock. He won't give us a snake or a scorpion. He will give us good things if we ask him. And if we ask him to grow us, not to find us as Sermon on the Mount people, but to grow us into Sermon on the Mount people, he is faithful and he'll do it. And we get to experience it together and even compare notes together. Yeah. Okay. So there's Matthew 7 with just looking at like the last five verses. There's other good stuff in there. Um, I'm done. (laughs) Okay. Ray acted like I was going to jump him over how long I preached there when I was... (laughs) Which brings me to this. I have analyzed my last five messages, and my, my average is 46 minutes. Now, my 18-minute Christmas message brought the average into line. Let the record show. Anyway... 
Ray is so amazing a man. This is the first time I've heard him speak because for the first number of years, I traveled a lot while we were starting the church. It's just what I had to do to make things work on my side of the equation. And But this is the first time I've heard you, Ray. Thank you so much for coming. That's a real... That's such a rich, rich deposit. Um, that story alone at the beginning is so eye-opening. You know, Jesus didn't just come to save us from hell, from the fire. He came to save us to a life. He will show us how to live if we will give ourselves to him and to it on a discipling, learning basis because the Bible really, really works. And one of the things that struck me when I've taught those last four verses myself, it says, when the rains came, when the winds blew, not if. Ladies and gentlemen, in your life, rain and wind are coming. Sooner or later, you will have something you have to deal with. And it's essential to really, Really open your heart to the Lord, not through fear or intimidation, but just the reality of living, living this life. And so we're going to receive an offering for Ray. And the thing, one of the things, one of the, one of the many things I appreciate about, appreciate about Ray is he's, um, little, little bit of a correction on Ray's life. He isn't connected well enough to getting money. What I mean is that's really a, a compliment. Ray never talks about offerings, money. He just comes. He comes. And I have lived that traveling ministry life. It's very taxing. It's very difficult. And we want to bless Ray to our best ability. And I will promise you, Ray, if the offering's not big, we'll throw some in. We're going to make sure you get blessed and go home. Happy you came down here because of who we are and happy because we treat you in a way that honors and respects the life you have demonstrated all these years. God bless you. So checks or if, if you want an envelope, if you raise your hand, we'll be glad to give you an envelope. Checks can be made out to Queen City Church. And if you go online, there's a box. The, the default giving thing online right now is course ties and offerings, but there's an arrow to the side of it. If you hit that arrow, you can drop down and put guest speaker. So if you give online, hit that guest speaker tab if, if your offering today is going to be from Ray and you do it and do it online. Now let's do this guys. Let's put those buckets in the back. And let people go by that way instead of passing them. That's probably going to be the easiest way because we also have ministry today. If our ministry team will come forward, and if anyone needs to be prayed for for any sort of sickness or ailment or something like that, it's not so much for pastoral ministry, but it is for uh, both prophetic and healing. If you will come over on this side of the auditorium, we'll be glad to minister to you and pray for you. So. Let's give it up for Ray one more time. Appreciate it, Ray. And um, have a great weekend. Have a great week. See you next week.